Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We are on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. And in this conversation, we have the privilege to talk about a book that has recently been released by DNH Publishing uh, by Dr. Patrick Schreiner, which is titled Political Gospel. So, uh, Dr. Schreiner, welcome to the show for the first time, brother. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the music that you guys had to begin the show because. I used to run a podcast and one of the things that I lament about Christian podcasts is the terrible music at the beginning of each episode, but you guys, you did a good job. So way to go. Well, thank you for your commendable words on our intro music, <laughs> Dr. Schreiner. We appreciate uh, the feedback and uh, we hope everybody else who listens to our intro music will take your words to heart as well. I've literally Not. stopped. I know you said no banter, but here we go. I've literally <laughs> stopped listening to podcasts because the music was so bad. So it was Christian podcasts out there. If you start with bad music, you've lost me already. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> so hopefully this uh, hooked somebody to continue listening to uh, the subject that we're interviewing you for today, at least. And so congratulations on the, uh, the release of your new book. And before we uh, get into the content of your book, uh, can you just begin our conversation by introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah, so I teach New Testament at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, this is my third year there. Man, that's weird to say. Um, and I'm actually on sabbatical this year, so I'm staying home writing a lot. So I'm in my home office, which is great. Uh, before that, I taught at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon for six years. And before that, I was at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary where I did my MDiv and my PhD. And so I'm married to Hannah. We have four young children who are all at school right now. So the only only thing that will interrupt us maybe is our dog who is home with me right now. But um, yeah, we're loving life in Kansas City. It's been great and I'm loving working at home right now. Well, Dr. Schreiner, it is a joy and privilege to have you on the show today. And um, I know personally, I have profited greatly from your works and um, particularly the Gospel of Matthew. And I know that uh, several of our listeners probably are familiar with you as well. So thank you so much for coming on today to talk about your new book, Political Gospel. Um, to kick off our conversation, would you be willing to just to give us a little bit of background information, who you wrote the book for, what the book's primary purpose is, and, and what you've ultimately hoped to accomplish by writing this particular volume? Yeah, thanks, Dewey. Good questions. Um, so there's there's a lot of background I could give to this book. I don't typically write um, on like hot topics. <laughs> Most of my books are concerning like Matthew or Acts or the Ascension, um, which are more evergreen, I hope, type books, not books that are hitting a cultural conversation, but more of a biblical conversation. Um, and this book certainly still focuses on the biblical text, but it does talk about politics, which, um, you know, people get nervous when we begin talking about politics. And I realize that. But I am a person who always has wanted and continues to have a foot in the academy and a foot in the church. So I'm an elder at my local church. I really uh, believe in our mission statement at Midwestern, which is for the church, that we exist to serve the local church. Um, I'm very influenced by Nine Marks Ministries and just the emphasis on the local church. And so as I looked out over the landscape of what's happening in America and particularly with politics, 
I felt like there was more work to be done on political discipleship. And so really this book is aimed at political discipleship. I was concerned with um, the years of 2016 to 22 currently in terms of how people have reacted to the political realm or how they're engaging with it. Uh, I have a lot of faith in the local church. I have a lot of faith in Christians and hope in them, but I also saw a lot of division and a lot of confusion about how we are to interact in the political realm. And so that was kind of the practical side that I saw. This book is really written for all Christians in the church. It's a more popular book. I certainly engage with the biblical text in depth, but I also believe that Christians in the church want that and they need that. And so it's for every Christian in the local church. I mean, I'm coming at it from a Baptistic perspective. I'm coming at it from a Protestant perspective in terms of my political theology. Uh, but I wrote it with stories in there, examples, uh, modern day, um, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. But the main bulk of the book is to convince people that the Bible has a lot more to say than we imagine in terms of our political engagement. So typically, when you think of politics in the Bible, a lot of people think maybe there's nothing even in there in terms of the scriptures and how we're supposed to engage with the political life. Or people think if they've actually maybe done some more work on it, well, we have Genesis 9, we have Mark 12 with the paying taxes to Caesar, and we have Romans 13. And those are basically the political texts we go to where Paul says, submit to the governing authorities, and Jesus says, pay taxes to Caesar. Um, and those are really, really important texts. All of those are very important texts. One of the purposes of my book, though, was to really open people's eyes to say, uh, actually, politics is all over the scriptures, both Old and New Testament. My book is more focused on the New Testament. Um, but really, you can't separate in the first century, in the ancient, ancient Near Eastern context, religion from politics. And so in the modern day, because of the separation of church and state, we tend to think, uh, and we're tempted to think, that religion is a private thing, while politics, secular politics, is a public thing. My main aim in this book is to argue Christianity is a politic. And I'm not saying it's partisan, because when American Christians hear it's a politic, they think of partisanship. That's not my aim. And I actually critique partisanship, and some people might not be happy about that. But I'm arguing Christianity itself is a public reality. Um, politics comes from the Greek word polis, which just means city. And politics has to do with how do you organize a city? How do you organize a society? Who has the right to rule our lives and organize us? And I think Christianity is the ultimate politic. Uh, Jesus came announcing that he's the king of the kingdom of heaven and that one day he's going to bring that kingdom down to this earth. And so while we have a tendency to make our faith private, um, Jesus's message really challenges that. And I think the early church challenges that too, that it's supposed to be a world forming um, force. Now, I, I mean, there's so much more I could say. I don't think that means we need to institute Christianity as the law of the land. That's not what I'm arguing for either. No, I still believe in separation of church and state. But I also think that we need to recognize that our message is fully public, fully political. And so one line I have in the book is that it not only it not only has political implications, but it is a politic itself. 
And so people might get nervous with that because they're like, hey, I thought the problem was people are combining their politics too much with their faith. And I'm like, yeah, that is a problem in one sense. But I think the main problem is we're not nearly political enough, <laughs> that we are all political beings. And what I mean by that is I'm trying to I'm trying to reformulate what we mean by politics. Um, you know, every time you go to church, you are making a political declaration. The Christian confession is that Jesus is Lord. And as we sing songs to him in church, as we meditate and hear the word preach, as we take of the, the ordinances and the sacraments, those are all, I argue in my book, political acts. We are pledging allegiance to our king again. We are reminding ourselves of who rules our lives. We are opening the scriptures to see what orders he has given us as his body politic. And for that matter of fact, if you go back to the um, history of the word ecclesia, it's a group of people who are called out of the city to make decisions for um, really the city at that point or that organization at that point. You see that in the Old Testament and you see that in the New Testament. So I think the church itself, the church itself is a body politic. We are a political assembly. Jonathan Lehman, who's a Baptist theologian, has done really great work on this and just basically argues in a whole book that the church is a political assembly. So I structure, this is a long answer, but you you got me talking. Um, I structure the book by saying we have a political past, Jesus's announcement of the kingdom. We have a political present, the church, and we have a political future. Jesus's return is presented as a new Caesar coming to the city to really inaugurate the new kingdom. And so you, I really went to Revelation first and second Thessalonians. So really the purpose of this book is our faith is fully political and Christians are not nearly political enough in the right way. So in a way, you've already answered the question I was going to ask, but we do want to encourage our listeners to to pick up your book, because obviously you can't give a full full argumentation for the things you're presenting here on the podcast. And I, I think it it sounds like a wonderful work that I'm interested in reading. Um, but with that being said, you've said several times that we are not political enough. Um, the question was going to be, are we too political or not political enough as Christians in America? Since you've already sort of answered that one, can you can you flesh out what you mean exactly by being political? You've touched on it a little bit, but how what would it look like for us to be political enough? Yeah. Yeah. And what and what I said earlier was we're not nearly political enough in the right way. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, you know, our main loyalty, and this is very standard, I don't think I'm saying anything new here, but our main loyalty and our main allegiance is not to any nation, any city of man, any um, human governing system. Our main allegiance and loyalty is to Jesus Christ and his people. And so we are not nearly political enough in, in two different ways. Maybe I could, I don't think I said it in the book like this, but um in two different ways. Well, we're not nearly political enough in the sense that I think many Christians have really swallowed the red or blue pill, if we want to use a matrix analogy and tie that into the political parties. Uh, is it red and blue in the movie? I even forget now. Is that right? It is, right? Okay. <laughs> I haven't seen the matrix in a while. Um, you, you, we've, we've swallowed one of those pills and we've completely combined Christianity with one political party, whether that's right or left. And I think that's really what um, 
you know, the politicians and the cable news media want you to do. They want you to think that um, their ideology fits with your ideology completely. And as Christians, the city of man can just never fully represent what the kingdom of God is doing. I don't think they can. I think they can be um, a help to the spread of the gospel. I think that the government does good. But we will always, as Christians, have critiques and we will always have disagreements with the city of man, whether that's Republican or Democrat. And so we're not nearly political enough in in that we haven't thought through the implications of the political nature of our faith. And the other way I'd say we're not nearly political enough, and I I hinted at this, is the other tendency is not partisanship, um, but to privatize our faith. Um, The other tendency might be that we just say, well, you know, we have our faith and then we have our political views, our secular political views, and those two never intermingle. So I might believe personally um, that gay marriage is wrong, but I shouldn't push that politically on other people. Um, Or I might personally think abortion is wrong, but it's, and and these are are complicated conversations. I realize I'm simplifying things, but I, I might personally believe abortion is wrong. But it's another thing to have a nation um, go against that or so- something like that. And so we're not nearly political enough in the sense that we don't recognize our faith does have implications for the political realm. Uh, there's, there's really no way for you to separate your private beliefs from your public stances. And if you do that, you're actually very inconsistent as a person, an indiv- individual. I think you hear like, oh, well... We don't want religion in the public square. No, no, no. The, uh, even if you go back to the American founders, it's that the government won't promote one religion. <laughs> Our religion should affect how we vote. And I think that's true for whatever religion you have, uh, according to the American system. And so for Christians, we need to have our faith uh, inform our political stances. But so that's the one side. But the other side, I go back to the other side again. Not so much to where we think one political system represents exactly what we believe. So it's kind of like I'm warning there's two different ways of falling off the side of this horse here, right? Uh, one, it, 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 it doesn't inform it at all. Another, another side, you think it informs it so much that you align with one political party. And I would just make the argument, and again, you can um, people disagree with me here. I wrote a book that people can disagree with me on. Um, but I just don't think any political party will represent Christian values wholly or completely. That's just not the way it works. And if you go to Revelation, it's pretty clear that that Babylon, which is represents the city of man, will one day um, be destroyed, and the and and Jerusalem will come down and supplant Babylon. And so we really, you know, I said at the beginning of this podcast, many times our political theology equals reading Romans 13 and moving on. And I've said this on other podcasts, but, um, you know, we also have Revelation 13 in the Bible. And Revelation 13 says the kingdom of man comes from the dragon who is Satan himself. So somehow there's a paradox here that the government is both God's servant and it's a tool of Satan to spread chaos. And in my book, I say that's the paradox that Christians live in. Christians live in the paradox of it's both God's servant who spreads order and peace and security um, if it's fulfilling the God-given role that it's supposed to do. And I think in America, we've been actually blessed and privileged that largely the government has um, done that, not not perfectly by any means, but it, it has promoted peace and security and prosperity. 
that's not always true around the world. But at the very same time, the scriptures say, um, Jesus says, these Gentile rulers, <laughs> they are corrupt and they lord over you with their power and they will spread chaos. And so, man, how, how do you bring both of those two things together? Well, as Christians, we have to believe that both of those things are true at the same time. I think we tend towards one or the other. And I, I just see in the scriptures, the paradox of both are true at the same time. And you see that in the Old Testament. What does he call? Is it Cyrus? He calls uh, Cyrus the Persian king, who's basically a totalitarian regime, who's murdering and persecuting people. He calls him his messianic figure. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to work my will by punishing Israelites, right? Um, and you're like, wait, how can he be God's servant and this ruthless Lord? Well, I think there we see that both things are happening at the same time. The Lord is sovereign over all governing systems, and he uses it pr to promote his purposes. And at the very same time, Satan and the spiritual forces of darkness are involved, and they are spreading chaos. And one day, Christ, the true king, will conquer all those kingdoms. He already has put that in motion on the cross. But one day, he will fully install his kingdom. Yeah, thank you for... Uh, that response, brother, and uh, calling people to be uh, engaged in the spheres that God has placed them in. Um, I don't anticipate to, or I'm not trying to put you on the spot in any way. I'm just going to speak for myself. Um, and if you want to follow up on this, you can. And if you don't want to, you can feel completely comfortable to just skirt it and answer it however you want to. But at least in, in my mind, as uh, the culture continues to degenerate in some ways, um, one response has been a type of theonomic reconstructionism, which sees a lot of uh, overlap between how Christians should act in the nation in which they've been placed. And uh, that is a form of being involved in the public sphere of which you've been placed. And it sounds like to me uh, in your response and in your book, you're arguing from a more Baptistic perspective that sees a separation of church and state. So I'm, I'm curious if you will um, follow up. How more specifically should religion and politics intermingle? Like where, how is it necessary for those two to fall in place? And then in what way should they be more separate and more distinct? Um, so that way we as Baptists can maintain one of our identities as the yeah. distinction between separation and church and state. So how would you explain your answer to this question? Yeah, that's there's a lot in there. So I'll try to give maybe a, a brief summary of, of how I approach things. Um, I, I do think I am fully Baptist in my political theology. I'm by trade um, a New Testament scholar. And so political theory and political theology are not my main area of interest. However, in working on this book, I was able to read more on those subjects. And um, a Baptist political theology really affirms, uh, you could say a lot, but a few things. Number one, religious liberty. I can speak more about that, but I'm going to kind of pass over that one. The other one that I really want to emphasize is that separation of church and state. And what I mean by that is in the scriptures, and this isn't true for all Christian traditions, this is what sets Baptists actually apart. In the scriptures, it seems that the scriptures give authority and distinct authorities to the state and to the church. And so it, you can almost use the idea of sphere sovereignty, right, from Abraham Kuyper, that there's a sense in which the state has a sphere of authority, a sphere of sovereignty. 
and the church has a sphere of authority. And, and um, those two should not overlap, although sometimes it gets a little more complicated than that. We found that out during COVID uh, and we knew that probably beforehand, but uh, I don't want to complicate the conversation too much right now. I want to give a simple answer. In Romans 13, Paul, and I think in Mark 12, uh, Jesus gives authority, some sort of authority to the state. He gives authority to the state in terms of uh, the sword. And so they have secular authority to promote peace and order and security um, for society. Uh, I don't think that's the church's role. Uh, I don't think the church is meant to do that. The church has the authority of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, according to Matthew 16. And so those are two separate authorities. So what does that look like? Well, I think that the state should not be telling the church who they should welcome as members. <laughs> I don't think this state should be telling the church how we are to perform um, the sacraments or the ordinances, Lord's Supper and baptism. That is beyond their authority. In the same way, the church, I don't think, should be telling the government exactly how society should be run because that's not the church's role. The church's role is they're given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so a very Baptist political theology, which I hold, is the separation of church and state. Now, this gets really confusing, though, because in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there is more of a combination of church and state, of nation and uh, the people of God. In the New Testament, I think there's a, there's a different reality that's going on. It's no longer tied ethnically. Uh, and then it's also confusing because in the new heavens and the new earth, it comes back together again. Uh, the state is the kingdom of heaven and the ruler is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what's so difficult about political theology right now is we live between the times that the city of man still, I mean, this is Augustine, right? <laughs> um, the city of man still exists, but the, the city of God has also broken in. A and the temptation, I think in some political theories, is to complete, completely combine those two spheres and say that the, the Christian aim is to take over the state and to, and to really spread the Christian nation. But I think only Jesus does that at the end in Revelation. And I think that's what Baptists actually have always believed. Um, and so while there's overlap, you can't complete, completely combine those two circles at this point. And I don't think that should be our aim. So I, I truly believe as a Baptist that the church is an embassy of the kingdom, but it's not the full, what we call instantiation of the kingdom. It's an outpost of the kingdom. And, and where it gets confusing is if people say the church is the kingdom full stop, <laughs> then you believe, well, the church is supposed to spread the kingdom to where the kingdom covers the whole earth. And there's a sense in which I totally agree with that as statement, but you don't do it by force or by law, but by a politic of persuasion, by conversion, by regeneration, right? People join this community, not by passing laws, but by being convinced that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and they want to follow him. It's a choice. It's a, it's a free choice that they join this new body politic. So I want to be really clear when I speak about the Christianity and the gospel as political and even the church as a political assembly, I'm not saying we need to take over the government role, government's role. I believe the government has a separate role right now than the church. And one day the government will no longer, well, the secular government will no longer be necessary. We'll have Christ's government. We will still have a government, I think, but it'll be a perfect government. It'll be one in which he rules with all righteousness. And so we have, 
I, I think the easiest way to answer that question is to say, when do we live? We live between the times where, where the kingdom of God has come and it's still to come. It's the already not yet paradigm. I think that's the, the simplest way to understand, I think, Baptist political theology. So I know you asked a lot more in there, but I think that kind of gets to the, to the rub of your question. It's very helpful, Dr. Schreiner. And for the benefit of any lay people who are listening to today's show, I, I wonder if you'd be able to just kind of tease out some ways that believers can faithfully follow Christ while living in the midst of the political upheaval in our day, specifically here in America, and thinking about your role as an elder in your local church. How do you go about educating your church members on this subject? And is there anything uh, in your book that offers specific counsel as well? Yeah, a few things that I would say. Number one, uh, the most political thing you can do each week is go to church, hear the word preached, and take up the ordinances. That would be the most political thing you can do. So when people hear me saying you need to be more political, they're like, so should I get involved in more community things? Well, maybe you do need to get more involved in community things. But if if I, as I truly believe, the, the most political, if our faith is political, then the most political thing you can do is go to church. So I know that sounds simple, but... Um, that would be the place I'd start. Uh, second thing I'd say is stop watching cable news. Um, literally just stop watching cable news and stop listening to the podcast that it's right or left wing this or that. Um, be informed. But honestly, I think those networks are doing more to disciple our people into a partisanship that's dividing the church than helping. And so you just need to put that down and maybe pick up another Bible study. Um Maybe third thing I'd say is, uh, especially for leaders in the church, but I'd say this for all Christians. I know this is kind of a popular phrase, but be a non-anxious presence. Um, and what I mean by that is don't get so worked up with what's going on in the secular political realm. Christians like the rest of the world. I, politics has become the new religion, right? And so people are getting all worked up. It's where their identity is found. And Christians, your identity is not primarily found in a secular political system. And so guess what? If somebody gets elected that you're really nervous about, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know why? Because Christ reigns on the throne. And so you don't have to get all worked up about it. You don't have to go on the podcast and lament, oh my gosh, this country is going to hell in a handbasket. And I can't believe what's happening with sexuality. I can't believe what's happening in our schools. I can't believe what's happening. Okay. I mean, there's, there's places to have those conversations. But honestly, like Christians are people who have hope. And the first century Christians lived under a much worse regime than we do. And do you hear them like wringing their hands, being like, I don't know what's happening here in our culture. No, they're just going about spreading Christ's kingdom and talking about how do we suffer well? How do we suffer in a way that shows that Christ is king of our lives? And so those are three things I'd say to people. Be a non-anxious presence. Stop watching cable news and go to church. Be the kingdom of God. Dr. Schreiner, in, in the last question you answered, you, you gave three very helpful encouragements, in my opinion. But to wrap up our conversation, um, do you have any final thoughts or encouragements that relate to the topic of your book? Or do you have any other recommended resources um, for people to look into and to study more on this subject? Yeah. Um, I mean, read my book. It'll solve all your problems is the first thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Recommendations in terms of books. I don't, I don't even remember your first question now. Um, I would look at Jonathan Lehman's work on um, kind of political theory and how the scriptures inform 
He's got multiple books. One's how the how's the, how the nations rage. The other one's a political assembly. I would read Augustine's um, City of God, and it's a huge book. So actually, you can go online and just find someone who's kind of brought out the best sections, and you can read a few chapters and kind of get the sense of it. Because you'll look at City of God and you'll be like, I'm never going to read that. And so go online and find the best chapters and go ahead and read those. Um, and then. I, one encouragement, this is probably not what you're looking for, but this is what came to mind. Um, one of the things I try to do in my book is recognize that, you know, Jews in the first century in the New Testament are living. Yes, we need to know the Jewish background. But one of, one of the things in my book I wanted to point out was we need to also be pay attention to the Greco-Roman background of the New Testament. Because often we read the New Testament and think, oh, there's nothing political in here. But you forget that they lived under the thumb of Rome. And you forget that some of Jesus's language, some of Paul's language, I think were implicit challenges to what was happening in terms of um, the Roman Empire. And so I would just want to open people's eyes to the reality that the Greco-Roman system was all-encompassing, that they were using Greco-Roman coins, there were Greco-Roman soldiers, uh, or Roman soldiers in their cities. There was taxation. Um, there, it, it, was, it was a big part of their lives. And in one sense, you have to be aware that this was just part of the conversation. And I think that helps us recognize just the political reality that Jesus, Paul, Peter, and the rest of the early church were living under. At the very same time, I want you to also see that they didn't talk about Rome a lot. They didn't, they didn't feel it was necessary to speak about Rome a lot. And I think that's actually telling for us because their main aim was to talk about the kingdom of Christ. And so and it, it kind of goes back to my statement, like be a non-anxious presence. I think the early church was like, man, Rome is so huge. Like there's so much going on with Rome. And the early, uh, the scripture writers were like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that a ton <laughs> because really it's not, it's not the main thing. And so secular politics is just not the main thing. They're important. I think we should be involved. But the main thing is Christ's kingdom, and that's what they spoke about. Amen. And Dr. Patrick Schreiner, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Thank you for the work on the several books that you've already written and this new book. Just thank you for coming on. Thanks, guys. It was good talking to you. And to our wish or to our listeners, we we encourage you go pick up this book, give it a read, and we wish you grace and peace.